Beautiful. Thank you, Lisa and Steve, for reminding us that God is always leading us. Good morning, church. Good morning to those of you online. We have 30 ish of us here, maybe 40. So good job, those of you that came. We're glad to see you in person. But hello to all of you, those who stayed stayed extra safe online. Um, uh, last, in last week's church Bible reading, we read Matthew 20. And it said, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, I am there among them. And so we value that, whether we're here in person or joining virtually, God is here with us each week. And we not only sing about him, but we sing to him. We respond to his love, mercy, grace, and power. This morning, we begin by being led by our virtual choir and orchestra. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and my King, the triumphs of his grace in my life. Let's stand together and worship.
Amen. Please take a seat. Good morning, church family. My name is Emily, and this morning I get to lead us in a celebration. Across four of our services, we have 29 brothers and sisters in Christ who are declaring their faith this morning through baptism. And in this service, we get to celebrate with five of our sisters. Now, just so you know, there's nothing funky or magical happening up here with baptism. We believe as a church that it's a declaration of a decision someone has already made to place their faith in Christ. And so when you see our friends go under the water, it represents their sins being buried with Christ in his death. And when they are raised out of the water, it represents the new life they have in Christ because of his resurrection. What a beautiful picture to encourage our faith this morning as we celebrate with our sisters. So Stephanie is our first friend who's getting baptized. Come on up here, girl. Stephanie is one of our sixth graders. And Stephanie, you girl, you have been taking some significant steps recently to really own your faith. Your mom and your dad love Jesus, your family loves Jesus, but you are saying today that you love Jesus too and you want to follow him with your life. And that's so beautiful. I don't know if you know this about yourself, but you are a connector. People are drawn to the joy that you have and the way that you genuinely care for them and serve them when they're with you, which is really, really cool. And so today, Stephanie, I have a simple question for you, and then your mom and I are going to baptize you. Is it your testimony that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Yes. Awesome. Then as fellow believers, your mom and I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Next up, we have one of our fifth grade girls. Her name is, is Elizabeth. Elizabeth, come on up here. <laughs> you can take your mask off. Elizabeth, something that I've loved as I've gotten to know you this past year is seeing your love for God's word. This is something that your family said, you've loved God's word since you were a little girl and have found comfort in the truth of God's word which is really beautiful. But something I see God doing in your life is that you're not just learning God's word and gaining more knowledge up here. You believe it in your heart and you see it in your actions. You're growing in wisdom, which is really, really beautiful. And my prayer for you is that you continue to trust God as you follow him, that he grows you in knowledge and in wisdom. So today, Steph today can I ask you a question? <laughs> is it your testimony that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Yes. Awesome. That was a really bold yes. I love it. Then, Elizabeth, your dad and I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have three sisters who have each made the decision to follow Jesus, but they're being baptized together today. So this is Sam. She's the oldest, and she is in eighth grade. Sam, man, I love you, girl. <laughs> and we've known each other for a few years, 
And I see in you leadership, girl. I don't know if you see that in yourself, but it's true. You have qualities of a leader. And your mom and dad see you as you know God's word. You are able to discern right from wrong and offer godly counsel to others. And that's a really cool thing to say about an eighth grader. (laughs) I'm excited to see you grow in boldness as you step into the places God's given you to influence and you lead. So Sam, is it your testimony this morning in front of your church family that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Yes. Awesome. Then your dad and I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is Becca, and Becca is one of our sixth graders. Come on up here. You can stand on the stool so they can see you. Becca, two words that describe you. Sweet servant. You love others so much. You love your church family so much, and it's seen in the way that you care for others through serving them. But it's a fierce kind of love, a love that doesn't give up on people easily. And this year during COVID, your mom and dad have also seen you love your community, love the girls in your neighborhood through studying God's word with them and encouraging them in a time that might be kind of confusing and chaotic, which is just a really cool, I think, shadow of what God is going to continue to do in your life. So this morning, is it your testimony, Becca, that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Yes. Awesome. Then your dad and I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right, last and certainly not least excited is Elise, and she's one of our fourth graders. Elise, we're getting to know each other. I know your older sisters better. Um, but I love how inquisitive you are. You like to ask good questions. Um, but here's the thing. You ask good questions because you want to know God more and know his word, which is really, really beautiful. And you are a great example to us of what it means to have faith like a kiddo, which doesn't mean little kid faith. It means faith that sincerely trusts God. That's what God says we need to enter the kingdom of heaven. And you're such a beautiful example of that to us. So, Elise, is it your testimony this morning that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Yes. Awesome. Then your dad and I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How cool is that? How wonderful is the grace of God in drawing us to himself, building us up by the power of the Holy Spirit. And to that end, would you bow with me as we pray together? Father, we are amazed at the grace you show us, the grace that you have shown uh, these five different young ladies who have gotten baptized. For the others today, on our campuses that will be baptized. We praise you and exalt you that you are a God who redeems, who saves, who sheds and showers compassion and grace and mercy. And we praise you for the wonder 
that you are our great king. And in Jesus Christ, you have become a man. And in the Holy Spirit, you are convicting the world and drawing us to yourself. So today, we thank you. We thank you for these stories of grace that we have just seen. We pray that you will bless these young ladies, that you will draw all of us closer and closer to you. Father, we thank you for the beauty we've seen today in the snow. The beauty of your creation, your handiwork, and how everything in creation is designed to point us to you, to the wonder of the grace of God in Jesus Christ covering our sins as the snow covers the grass. For the wonder of the uh, beauty and majesty of the sun and the clouds uh, that point us to Jesus, that point us uh, to the difficulties and troubles of life. And yet we know, God, that you are shining upon us and we gather together today to worship you for that. And we thank you for this moment that you have us in as a church, a Sweeten Bible Church. We are absolutely confident that you have things under control, that you are working in wonderful ways. And we come to you today and we thank you for this opportunity to give to you just as you have so abundantly given to us. How will he who did not spare his own son, but gave us all things through him, not freely also with him. Give us the wonder and the glory of the presence and the power of the Spirit in our lives. And so we thank you as we worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Respond to the great uh, message of baptism that we celebrated today with the Heidelberg Catechism. The first question, church, what is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and he has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Days 
God's word, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And then from Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 6. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Aren't those powerful scriptures? The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. We know by faith God continues to lead and guide us, especially in times when we're mourning or poor in spirit or when we're hungering for more of God. When things around us are uncertain, whether it's COVID or snow, or when we as a church are getting ready to meet our new senior pastor candidate and he withdraws, we can rest even in those times in God's perfect shepherding. 
We don't live by faith in ourselves or in faith by our plans going well or our faith in other people. We live by faith in our Creator, in our Savior, and in the Spirit who has been in control from the beginning. And He will continue to be. And we rejoice with that as a body. This Knox song helps us to rejoice not in what we can do, but in what God can do for us. We pray it will soothe your spirit today.
Please be seated. Thank you, worship team, and I want to also welcome those of you that are online, those of you that weathered the snowstorm, and we are in for a rich morning as we discuss, I believe, one of the most important subjects in the Bible. Today, I want to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life and my life. It's one of the most misunderstood, misunderstood subjects in the Bible, but as we'll see in our passage today, <clears throat> according to Jesus, it's one of the most important. In our house, we have a ping pong table down in the basement, and we've got a lot of grandkids. Most of them are little and too young to actually play ping pong. Uh, but these kids love to take these ping-pong paddles and whack these innocent ping-pong balls all over the place. So we find them in our bookshelves, in our bathroom, under the couch. Some of them are dented. Some of them are cracked. Most of them are trying to hide from these precious rugrats of our grandkids. And I say that because sometimes you and I feel just like those ping pong balls. When life, this past year, COVID, a disappointment, unanswered questions, injustice, knock us around. Sometimes life feels like a paddle and we're just a little ball. And that is exactly how the disciples felt the night before Jesus was crucified. Jesus had told them he would be killed, that Peter would deny him, and that he was leaving the disciples. And the disciples felt whacked. They were so overwhelmed with their present problems that they were not able to think about see or see future opportunities. So Jesus brings them together in the final hours of his earthly life to equip them, knowing that in spite of all their weaknesses, God would use them to change Western history. And what Jesus says, and we're in this series in John chapter 13 through John chapter 17, often called the upper room discourse, these last hours that Jesus has with these disciples. And of all the wonderful things Jesus says in these five chapters, over and over he says the key to living the spiritual life 
the key to changing your world, the key to overcoming adversity is the ministry of the Holy Spirit among you. Five times in these five chapters, Jesus has brief sections where he will talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And today, as we pick it up in John chapter 14 and verse 15, Jesus is now talking about the first of these discussions about the Holy Spirit. So would you stand with me and we stand out of respect for God's word as I read beginning in John chapter 14 and verse 15. This is a dense section. You have to pay close attention to these words. And Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever in good times and bad times. Who is this? The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Now note that. What does it mean to be a believer in Jesus Christ? It means the Holy Spirit is with me and the Holy Spirit is in me. What does it mean to be a church of Jesus Christ? It means the Holy Spirit is with us and in us. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. Jesus is referring to his death. And in the previous verse, or it's 18, his resurrection. But you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, now not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Now, this question is based on a misunderstanding. Judas and the disciples believed that when Jesus came back, he would come back physically uh, to reign. And he, he's saying, well, if we're going to be able to see you physically, why can't uh, the rest of uh, Israel see you physically? So Jesus replies, verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them, and we will make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So Jesus' response is very sobering. Jesus says that there are only two groups of people in the world, those who believe in Jesus, who obey Jesus, and those who don't. The one will experience Jesus, the others will not. In verse 25, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I had said. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And under no circumstances, be afraid. Now you may be seated. 
There is so much here, so much wonderful material here, so typical for our Lord Jesus. But this moment is heightened because Jesus is at the end of his earthly life, and so he is making sure what he is communicating is vital to the future spiritual success of the disciples. And we need to soak this in. But I want you to, I want to begin by making sure you see the connection here. Because at the beginning of our text, our, this passage we read, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. Then at the end, he promises peace, an untroubled heart. In other words, Jesus is saying, your path, our path to peace is the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do today is look at the identity of the Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit, and then how we grow in the Spirit. So let's start with the identity of the Holy Spirit. And let me say two primary things here. Now the Old Testament, of course, talks about the Holy Spirit, uh, the Spirit of God. So that was not unfamiliar for the disciples, but most of how Jesus unpacks this is new material for these disciples. And let's look at the first thing he says. Let's go back to verse 17. Notice when Jesus is speaking here of the Holy Spirit, he does not refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. But five times in this verse alone, he refers to the Holy Spirit as him or he. In other words, Jesus wants to make it totally clear to the disciples that the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force, but a person. That's the first thing. Let's back up to verse 16. And here we read that Jesus is asking the Father and he will give you another advocate. Now I want to focus on this word another. We're going to come back to the word advocate. Commentators make a big deal about the word another because in the Greek, and the New Testament is written in Greek, there are two different words that can be translated another. One is another of a different kind. So I, I say to you, I need another house pet because I just found out I'm allergic to my cat and I got to get rid of my cat. I need another animal, another of a different kind. But then there's also another of the same kind. So I say to you, I need another coat. That's another of the same kind. That's the word Jesus is using for another here. And that says volumes. Because Jesus is saying, or let me back up and say, Jesus has been repeatedly for the last three years claiming to be God, right? As a matter of fact, at the beginning of chapter 14 in verse 1, then again in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus repeatedly points to himself, not as a prophet, not as a good teacher, but as in fact God the Son, the Son of God, the Messiah, deity. And so when Jesus says, I, he will give you another advocate, Jesus is saying this is another advocate of the same kind. That the Holy Spirit is equally God as Jesus is equally God. The Holy Spirit is equally divine as Jesus is equally divine. This is why if you go back or if you see in verse 16, 
Jesus says the Spirit will be with you forever. And then in verse 17, he calls him the Spirit of truth. And then in verse 26, he says the Spirit will remind you of all the things I've said. He will teach you all the things I have said. All of those, and we see it here in verse 16, point to Jesus' deity. And, and, and the point here is the second advocate is as fully divine as the first. The first being Jesus, the second being the Holy Spirit. Now, let me get complex for a second and just stay with me. This will be brief. There are wonderful references here, statements here about the Trinity. So if you read closely in our passage, it's not only the Holy Spirit that dwells in us as believers, but Jesus says he dwells in us as believers. And then Jesus will say in verse 23, my father and I will come and we will make our home with you that the father will dwell in us. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit all dwell within us as believers. And as we see in verse 16, that is forever. Now, this is what makes Christianity unique among the world religions. We don't believe in a single person God. We do not believe in three gods. We believe in one God who exists or subsists in three persons, equally God, but different. So Jesus is saying, I'm leaving, but he promises the Holy Spirit is coming. There's differentiation. Now, what this implies, or actually what it builds on, is the fact that before the Father ever created the world, before he ever ruled the universe, he existed as a Father. As a Father full of love and compassion who was delighting in the relationship, his relationship with the Son and the Spirit. And creation is the overflow of that love. And I want you to understand, before God was a creator, before God was a ruler, uh, God was a father. That is how eternal, how deep, how profound is his love. But I want to focus on the Holy Spirit. And I want you to understand, and this is really my point in this section, that the Holy Spirit who dwells you is not some cosmic, impersonal force, but a divine person. So right at the center of your life, you have the Holy Spirit. Now, do you get this? Do you get, I mean, really get, really understand who is indwelling you? One commentator taking this a step further, and I think he's absolutely right, tells us this changes how we understand what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, we have to be careful here because if we think of the Holy Spirit as, let's say, an impersonal liquid or, or, or gas, we might think that there are certain things we can do to add a couple of ounces. Read the Bible, pray, and I'm, you know, it's like I'm adding more Red Bull to my glass. But what we've done is we've reduced the Spirit to an impersonal force. 
But Jesus' teaching, you have a person dwelling inside of you. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean uh, to be filled with a person? It means, now, now follow me in this, it means to be filled with love and adoration and respect. Just as a spouse or just as a, a, a child uh, loves, adores, and respects a, a, a parent. Uh, another pastor tells a story of when he was young. He will never forget when his parents went all out to host for a long weekend a guest who was well-known and highly respected. This pastor said it was like he died and woke up in better homes and gardens. Because the food was fabulous, the house was spotless, and nobody in the family was arguing. And it wasn't fake. It was because they were all thrilled and excited and focused on this wonderful guest that they were hosting. And as a result, everything else sort of melted away. And I wonder this morning, are you really thrilled that the Holy Spirit dwells inside you? Uh, does it change how you look at your problems and your circumstances? Does it cause them uh, to, to be reduced, uh, to melt away? Does the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life bring you peace? Does it clarify your priorities? Does it help you with how you view yourself, your self-image? The Holy Spirit of the living God dwells inside us. So what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It means you as a follower of Jesus Christ are completely confident in the one who lives with you, who lives inside you, who will be with you forever. And I want to say to you this morning, just remember this. He is with you. He is in you. He is for you. And that forever. And do you see what this means for us as a church, Wheaton Bible Church, right now in this period we're going through? I want you to know that while I haven't been a part of the search process, I've had the privilege of watching Jim Getz, the chairman of our search committee, John Walker, the chairman of our elder board, uh, continually and repeatedly uh, call us and live in light of the wonder of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. They've been repeatedly surrendering themselves to the Spirit, committed to the Spirit, clinging to the promises of the Spirit as they have led us in this, in this search. And now, yes, as Katie just mentioned a moment ago, our candidate at the ninth hour withdrew himself for personal reasons. But that doesn't mean suddenly we're in plan B. No, there is no plan B when the Holy Spirit is present. Are there changes? Yes. 
but our confidence is in the Holy Spirit who is just as present, just as active, just as guiding, protecting, and leading us this week as he was last week or two weeks ago. And so our confidence isn't in our smarts. Our confidence is the wonder that the Holy Spirit loves us that much that he has come to indwell us individually and as a church, collectively. We are spirit people, and I cannot wait to see how the Spirit is going to guide us in bringing us the next senior pastor. And this, when we look at it through the lens of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, helps us relax, helps us stay united, helps us pray, and gives us confidence that we are okay and that we will be absolutely wonderful one day when we are with him in heaven. Now, let me go on. I've talked about the identity of the Holy Spirit. He's a person. He's fully God, fully divine, as the first advocate is. Now I want to move to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but I want to unpack the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and there's more here, by looking to, at two titles Jesus gives the Holy Spirit. And the first is this term, advocate. So Jesus refers twice in our passage to the Holy Spirit as an advocate. Once in verse 16, once in verse 26. He does it again in chapter 15. He uses the term again in chapter 16. Now this term advocate is translated differently in different Bible translations. So your Bible may read helper instead of advocate or counselor, or comforter, or encourager. And when that happens, when there's multiple translations uh, of one Greek word, it's telling us that the richness of the Greek term cannot be captured by one word alone in the English. And so each of these words have different strengths and different weaknesses. So for example, helper is a little too weak. Counselor, a little too detached. Comforter, encourager, a little too soft. Advocate, which I prefer, which is the NIV translation, uh, is a little too stiff, a little too formal. But I understand it because the word advocate is frequently used in the Greek uh, to describe a, a lawyer arguing for his client. And that's why today we still call lawyers counselors. So for example, in John chapter 16, Jesus implies that the Holy Spirit is a prosecuting attorney of sorts when he says the Holy Spirit will come and convict the world of sin prosecute the world. But in our context here in chapter 14, it's not so much a, uh, the Holy Spirit as a prosecuting attorney, but the Holy Spirit as a defense attorney, as a, as a counselor, arguing with us to argue for us. So let me talk and apply this by how the Holy Spirit argues with you, with us, about our idols. 
Last year, right before COVID hit, we put our house on the market to sell. And then COVID came and we took our house on the, off the market for a while. Uh, but all that to say, our house has been on the market for a long time. And, and not much, if anything, has really been happening. And yeah, we've reduced the price and we've, we've done uh, things to say ahead. And now the problem's gotten complicated because we found another place, uh, another home that we think uh, we, we would really like. And you know what the Holy Spirit is doing in my heart? The Holy Spirit is arguing with me about not letting a house or the purchase of another house become an idol. So about a month ago, I shared with you Psalm 106 and verse 13. And honestly, the Holy Spirit has been arguing with me regularly through this verse. Rob, don't make the mistake of Israel. Wait for God's plan to unfold. And it will. And then this week in preparation for this message, I come to verse 23. And look at this. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them. We will indwell them. And notice the word, we will make our home with them. And the Holy Spirit has been arguing ever since I read this uh, with me that Rob and the Spirit is arguing with me to cleanse me and to purify me and to rip my hold on the eye, my idols away and saying as great as a home can be, you have an infinitely greater home with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit who indwells you and who will take you to be with the Father, Son, and the Spirit in heaven. And so the Holy Spirit is arguing, don't make your house or the timing or a home an idol. Let go. I am your ultimate home. With me, you are at home. Now let's talk about temptation. Let me apply this in the area of temptation. Let's say you're a 17-year-old male. And your friends, the world around you, tells you there is no sacred order. God doesn't exist. And it scoffs at Christianity. Because Christianity supposedly stifles individual expression individual impulses, and especially sexual impulses. And so our culture tells us today to, to be satisfied, we then fulfill our sexual impulses. And the Holy Spirit is arguing within you, no, no, no. I have come to satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. Uh, to enable you to live the good life. But it's not by you capitulating to your inward impulses. It's by you denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus in his gentleness, his humility, his love, his power. Someone I highly respect has said, our hearts are idiots. And I think that's exactly what the Apostle Paul teaches in Romans chapter 3. 
That the human heart is an idol factory, as John uh, Calvinist said. So Jesus is giving us an advocate, this attorney that argues for us by arguing against us so we will not capitulate to the dark desires of our hearts. And that's where our culture is, and that's where our culture is going. And the way you counteract that, the way you step above that, is by listening to the Holy Spirit. Now, let's say you struggle with feelings of worthlessness. Now, what does the Holy Spirit do? Uh, so maybe you're a perfectionist and nothing's ever good enough or you never feel good enough and you always feel in, inadequate. And the moment you come to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to take up permanent residence in you. And I got to tell you, and I'm going to say this in love, the Holy Spirit is appalled by your feelings of worthlessness. Because the Holy Spirit knows how much God loves you. So how does the Holy Spirit argue with you? By giving you God's word. So look at Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Spirit is arguing you are not pond scum. You are not a function of your failures. You are a beloved son and daughter of the King of Kings, your heavenly Father who loves you infinitely more than the best parent loves his or her son or, or, or daughter. And my point is, as your advocate, the Holy Spirit is continually arguing for you by arguing against you because we have sinful fallen hearts. And man, the world is coming at us fast. So first of all, the first ministry of the Holy Spirit, uh, this first title means the ministry of the Holy Spirit, is one of advo advocacy. Helping us to change, helping us to be pure and to live like Christ. Now the second ministry of the Holy Spirit is guiding us into truth. So look at verse 17. What does Jesus call the Holy Spirit? He calls the Spirit the spirit of truth, indicative of the deity of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean, or, or what are the implications of that? Well, let me go to the end of verse 26. And Jesus says, the Father is going to send the Spirit who's going to do two things, teach you all things and remind you of all things that I have said. Now, that is crazy if we stop and think about it from a historical perspective. There is no way these fumbling, bumbling, unbelieving at time uh, disciples could remember three years of Jesus' teaching. And then there's the shock of the crucifixion and, and everything inside of them uh, shuts down. But Jesus promises the Holy Spirit will remember and the Holy Spirit will bring it to mind. And so it's the Holy Spirit that will enable these disciples to write it down and to write the Gospels and to write the epistles and to make sure the New Testament is as true, as inspired, as an inerrant as the Old Testament. 
And so today, God uses the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to the truth of the Old Testament and the New Testament. But we need to understand when we come to the Bible that the Bible is one story about one hero, Jesus Christ. And so the ministry of the Holy Spirit in truthing, in guiding us to truth, is to help us see more and more the wonder and the beauty of Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus says in the next chapter. And when the advocate comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Jesus says the same thing in John 16 and 14. The Holy Spirit has come to glorify me. In other words, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is a spotlight. To throw the light on Jesus, not the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is so that we would see more and more the radiance, the wonder, the humility, the compassion, the sacrifice, uh, the service, the surrender of Jesus, and that would melt our hearts. Such is the ministry of the Holy Spirit that you will see more and more of Jesus. Now, I've got a couple minutes left. And so let me wrestle with this third category, this third question. How, how do we grow in the Holy Spirit? And you probably saw that over and over, Jesus tells us there's one way. And that is obedience. Keeping his commands. And he says both a couple of times. So let's go back to the very beginning. Look at verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. Seven words. But what I want you to understand is that obedience is much richer, much deeper, much more beautiful than we tend to think it is because today some of us scoff at the word obedience and it's a wonderful biblical word when properly understood. So when Jesus talks about keeping my commands, he's not saying the rest of your life needs to be spent by rigid rule keeping. No, he tells us here in verse 15 that obedience is the overflow of our love for Jesus. That obedience is the overflow of our faith in Jesus because through the entirety of this passage, Jesus is assuming our faith. So let me make this connection between obedience and love like Jesus does in Matthew chapter 22 when he tells us the greatest commandment, now note the word commandment, is that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, that you'd be all in. And it'd be a wonderful, profound, joyful, loving, adoring, 
a relationship. And here in Matthew 22, Jesus says that's the greatest commandment. So what does it mean to keep the commandments? It means you start with loving Jesus. What does it mean to obey Jesus? It means you love Jesus, you trust Jesus. What does it mean to love Jesus? It means you obey him, you trust him. What does it mean to trust Jesus? It means you love him and you keep his commands, you obey him. And this isn't a duty, it's a delight, it's a grace because this call to obedience is a call to rescue you from yourself. You know, it's been said, um, it's an old metaphor that a train is most free not when it jumps the tracks, but when it's on the tracks. And that's exactly what Jesus is getting at here. You will be most free. You will be most fulfilled. You will be most satisfied. You will be all that God has intended for you to be to the extent you stay on the path, you stay on the tracks, you stay on the road. And you give yourself, and we'll never do this perfectly, but we do it progressively, obeying him. But it's out of the overflow of confidence in Jesus, confidence in the Spirit, and love for uh, Jesus, love for the Father, love for the Spirit. And man, does this passage help me. And I want to say to you this morning, to the extent this captures your imagination, uh, it captures your heart, then you know what? You will become just like those disciples. And in spite of all of our weaknesses, the Holy Spirit will work in our lives to make us people of humility and compassion. People willing to lay down our lives for others. People committed to staying united as a church, committed to one another. To, to stand up for Christ in the marketplace or in our neighborhoods. And to experience peace in the face of our problems. God the Father has given you God the Spirit so that you will fall more and more in love with God the Son. God has given you the Spirit so you will fix your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we marvel. I, I, I just marvel at the simplicity but the depth of this passage. Oh, what Jesus teaches us about the Holy Spirit. And what a joy it is to live as a spirit person with confidence not in ourselves but in the one who dwells inside us. Oh, Spirit, would you come and would you fill us that we might see more and more of the wonder of Jesus. And we pray in his great name. Amen.
Before our benediction, I want to let you know or remind you that once a year we gather as a church family for a business meeting to approve uh, our next year's budget to discuss matters uh, of the church. And that meeting today, in spite of the snow, will be at 2.30 this afternoon right here. And may God use that to propel us into the future he has for us by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? So, Father, we praise you for the wisdom of the Father, the sacrifice of the Son, the advocacy and the truthing of the Holy Spirit. And I ask for my brothers and sisters, for these many families, singles, or friends, that you would fill them with confidence that it's not our problems, it's not our situations that define us, it's God in us. And all God's people said, amen. Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent. You guys have a great day.